Live from Edinburgh, Radio Napier News. Good afternoon. It is 4.39 and you are listening to Radio Energy. I am Jamie Smith. Coming up in today's programme, our top story today. Scottish universities have backed a move which has led to new nationwide legislation, meaning that convicted sexual offenders will have to provide this information to university services in their applications. This follows a campaign by Ellie Wilson, who was raped when at university and whose attacker was pending trial. Universities, given the type of environment that they are, given the people that are in them, it doesn't seem unreasonable to me that we might look at that as an area where there are additional safeguards in place. A recent report has revealed excess raw sewage discovered in the water surrounding Portobello. The campaign group Surfers Against Sewage is fighting for more transparency from Scottish water on this matter and is pushing for the government to act on sewage pollution by 2030. One of the things that we're doing at the moment is working with the community within Portobello to monitor the levels of CSO pollution into the Fiji burn at Portobello Beach. And coming up later in the programme, an exclusive interview with Radio Energy. Qualified for Euro 2024 and with the draw taking place next Saturday, our sports correspondent spoke to renowned Scottish footballer and manager who has been called Scotland's greatest footballer, Sir Kenny Dalgleish. Dalgleish played for Celtic for eight years and Liverpool for 13 years before a management career for numerous clubs with notably... Blackburn Rovers Premier League win in 1995. Any national job, it's not as if it's a club where you can go have a look at other players irrespective of their nationality. He's got to go with the hand he's been dealt and so far they haven't done too badly. You're listening to Radio Energy. Our top story today, the Scottish Government has passed legislation in which universities are now required to collect information on criminal offences from prospective and present students. The move comes after a lengthy campaign put forward by Ellie Wilson and supported by Rape Crisis Scotland, among other charities. After Ellie Wilson's sexual abuser was admitted to university despite a pending trial. More from our reporter, Thea Kellett. The Scottish Government passed a policy yesterday which will require students to declare any unspent criminal convictions or if they face any serious charges before being admitted to university. Currently, Scotland's 19 universities have different rules about whether students have to declare their criminal offences. The policy change was led by campaigner and rape survivor Ellie Wilson, after her abuser, Daniel McFarlane, was accepted into Edinburgh University despite awaiting trial for sexual assault. The Herald's education correspondent, James McKenney, says that, although the decision is a step in the right direction, universities have to be careful in exercising the new policy. There's a balance to be struck between the rights of individuals who have committed offences and the rights of individuals to not be at risk in places like universities. Would universities start refusing university places to go for all sorts of things that might not necessarily be appropriate, you know? Um, But if it gives us a situation where universities are even forced to think more carefully about how they deal with situations where people with, for example, sexual or violent offences are admitted to university and what that means for the other students who are there, then I think that sounds like progress, certainly. But what do students think? Erin and Matthew, students from Edinburgh Napier University, share their thoughts on the new plans. I don't think it's really necessary because education should be free to everyone and I don't think a criminal record should really affect their chances of improving their future. I think it just should be 
shouldn't really be scrutinised against people. Yeah, late, like late teens, young adults, they'll want to be safe. University of Scotland, the representative of Scotland's higher education institutions, have said in a statement that the data collected will be used to improve student safety from other students and as part of university's ongoing commitment to tackling gender-based violence. They also added that they recognise the role universities can play in rehabilitation and that the new legislation is not designed to act as a barrier to higher education. That was Thea Kellock reporting on the change for Scottish universities. Surfers Against Sewage is a charity fighting for cleaner Scottish seas after a report released three days ago detailing raw sewage being detected off the coast of a Portobello beach. The group is looking for transparency from Scottish Water and the government. Oscar Verdi has been out talking to a member of the charity. A worrying amount of sewage is reportedly ending up in Scottish seas. Scottish Water has allegedly discharged raw sewage over 58,000 times in the last five years with only 4% of spills being audited. The latest water quality report from the campaign group Surfers Against Sewage highlights a severe lack of accountability from Scottish Water. Surfers Against Sewage claim that the information available is not published in real time, and some prominent locations such as the famous surfing beach Thurzo and Portobello in Edinburgh are not being reported on at all. An Edinburgh representative of Surfers Against Sewage, Alistair Steele, spoke about his reasons for joining the group. I was actually windsurfing in an estuary that had uh, raw sewage getting pumped into it, which kind of explained why I was getting ill. Alistair addressed the issues he felt were causing the sewage spills. Climate change and greater rainfall level, the lack of investment in sewage infrastructure over the last 50 years. It's a huge problem that, that we really need to fix. Alistair then focused on funding. It's a difficult situation in Scotland because in England and Wales, the water companies are privatised companies, whereas in Scotland, Scottish Water is a government body. Finally, Alistair pointed out some of the work Surfers Against Sewage are undertaking. One of the things that we're doing at the moment is working with the community within Portobello to monitor the levels of CSO pollution into the Fiji burn at Portobello Beach. We love to work alongside people. If things are being done wrongly or if things aren't being done, then it's our job to, to make sure that that's brought to the public attention. Alistair mentioned CSO, combined sewer of overflows, which discharge stormwater and untreated in human industrial waste into our waterways. Scott Fraser, Corporate Affairs Manager from Scottish Water, responded to Alistair's claims. We invested £2.7 billion in wastewater infrastructure over the past decade. We forecast £2.3 billion in wastewater infrastructure between 2021 and 2027. We're going to install another 1,000 monitors by the end of next year. And as we do that, then we'll start publishing more information. We're keen to work with surfers against sewage, but we'd also encourage them to think about the sort of language that's used around this. And then we're also keen to really work with customers and community groups and campaigners around what they can do and what people can do to uh, help the environment. In terms of a future, it is clear to see that both Scottish Water and Surfers Against Sewage are focused on keeping Scotland's waters clean for all. That was Oscar Verdi discussing the sewage problem in Portobello Waters. Edinburgh City Council declared a housing emergency at the beginning of the month, highlighting a shortage of council accommodation. As colder nights approach, homelessness is also a growing issue. Social Bite, a new initiative in the capital, is providing temporary accommodation to those out on the streets in a first here in the city. Reporting, Anna Walsh. Is this a temporary home for some? Temporary accommodation, yes. A lot of people I'm at St Andrew's Square speaking so with Chris Marshall, a member of the Social Bite team in Edinburgh, who are currently receiving donations to fund a new village of temporary accommodation for those sleeping rough this winter. 
So the Nest House in particular are, are sort of an old coming into new initiative. We've had a village in Edinburgh for the past five, six years. Walking around the space, the houses are modern. They feel spacious and will be one of 15, which make up a single village of temporary accommodation. The idea is that, you know, these are really nice homes. A lot of people that have walked in in the public think this is a permanent solution and it's not. This is classed as support accommodation. The temporary accommodation hopes to provide a space not just for one person to live, but also to reconnect with others in the community. It's about breaking the cycle because homelessness is a cycle and a lot of people don't realise that even if you get to the point of being homed and stuff, we've got some people that don't even get used to, they're not even used to sleeping in a bed when they first step in. They'll you know, take a pillow and sleep on the floor. Chris told me about his own journey. Yeah, so I was homeless for two years. It was basically sort of left my mum through you know personal disagreements and things like that. Asked to stay on my mate's couch for the weekend and suddenly a weekend was two years long. Since joining the initiative, he's been able to work taking up permanent residence in Edinburgh. The launch of the village initiative follows recent news from the government who have shared new legislation in the form of a criminal justice bill which will introduce fines for those already on the streets who do not move along. Chris told me about his own response to some of these new measures. I think these homeless bills is a bit egregious because especially if you're pushing the homeless people out of sight, it's out of sight, out of mind, but it's also, if you push them far enough out, where, where are they going? John is a former resident of Social Bites and he came to St Andrews to see the new houses. I'd lost a lot of friends. I'd, I'd gone through a real sustained period of like isolation. Somebody who I knew at Cyrenian suggested that applying for Social Bite Village, I thought, well, why not? Give it a go. What have I got to lose? Yeah. And four years on, I've got a part-time job. I'm in employment. I'm at college full-time. I've got my own house. Social Bites, which is located at St Andrews Square, is currently on a mission to provide 300,000 meals, part of their Festival of Kindness initiative. Visitors can visit and donate at the site. That was Anna Walsh talking about the initiative Social Bites. Now for some more news across the city, over to our local correspondent, Suzanne O'Brien. Suzanne. Thanks, Jamie. Police Scotland are appealing for information on the whereabouts of a 34-year-old man named Ryan Gandhi. He went missing from the Western General Hospital at around 5pm on Wednesday. He is described as six foot tall, slim build with dark receding hair. He was last seen wearing a blue Nike top, black jogging bottoms and a black chalet. The public are advised not to approach Gandhi, but should contact police immediately if they see him. Sight loss charity Sight Scotland has raised concerns about the busy junction between Telford Road, Hill House Road and Strachan Road, as the pedestrian crossing is not suitable for visually impaired people. The charity met with Edinburgh City Council to discuss how the crossing could be made safer. However, the junction will not be prioritised for repair by the council. Policy and campaigns lead at Site Scotland, Nicoletta Primo, explained why the junction is so hazardous for someone struggling with sight loss. There is absolutely no tactile paving, or if there is, it's very worn down. When you get to the crossing box, there's no revolving cone underneath it. There's no light boxes either in the actual crossing panels. So even if you had some useful vision, you wouldn't necessarily be able to see that clearly. There's also no audible signals. So essentially somebody is waiting at their crossing, relying on and somebody else really to come along to advise them when it's safe to cross. This weekend is the final weekend to see Edinburgh Zoo's giant pandas before they return to China. The zoo has urged visitors to book their tickets in advance as large queues are expected. The last day to see the pandas will be Thursday the 30th of November. The Scottish Jazz Weekend starts this evening and will feature established big names and rising stars. All acts will perform at the St Bride's Centre in Dalry. <laughs> 
the Marketing and Audience Development Manager for the Scottish Jazz Weekend, Paula Wilson, detailed what people can expect. We are celebrating lots of uh, Scottish jazz musicians from across various backgrounds and types of music. We're particularly celebrating lots of new music and new musicians um, with this weekend. So we've got quite a few young and up and coming musicians, and quite a few that are playing for the first time, as well as musicians that we've commissioned to play um, some new projects or create some new music, especially for the weekend. From Edinburgh, Radio Napier News. You are listening to Radio Energy and it is 4.51. A reminder of our top story today, Scottish universities have backed a move which has led to the new nationwide legislation, meaning that convicted sexual offenders will have to provide this information to university services in their applications. This follows campaign led by Ellie Wilson, who was raped when at university and whose attacker was pending trial. And in other news today, Alex Salmond has made a statement launching a fresh round of legal proceedings against the Scottish government. Coming up, we will hear more about this story from our political correspondent. And later on in the show today, it is Black Friday. How are the streets of Edinburgh looking in this day when many of the shoppers take to the streets and with the backdrop of the cost of living crisis? Former Scottish First Minister Alex Salmond has launched a fresh legal case against the Scottish Government in its handling of the 2018 sexual allegations complaints made of the former SNP leader. Salmond made a statement today in a call for damages and loss of earnings. Just before coming on air today, I spoke to our political correspondent Stuart Moyes about the case. So Stuart, Alex Salmond released a statement today regarding his latest legal case taken out against the Scottish government. Summing it up, what did he say and more importantly, what is he looking for? So Alex Salmond is understood to be seeking £3 million worth of damages and loss of earnings against the government. In his statement, Salmond claimed that no one involved in the scandal has been held accountable and this latest legal action, quote, signals that the day of reckoning for the Scottish government's record of malfeasance on this grand scale will inevitably come. Amongst the public officials named in the action submitted to the Court of Sessions is former First Minister Nicola Sturgeon. Yes, so this comes in the shadow of the prior legal cases involving Salmond and the Scottish Government. What what is the background to Salmond's claim and today's statement? So the whole affair began following a number of sexual harassment complaints made in 2018 to the Scottish Government. These complaints related to alleged conduct by Salmond when he was First Minister between 2007 and 2014. However, in 2019, the Scottish Government was forced to pay more than £500,000 to Salmond to cover his legal costs after the Court of Sessions found that the government's handling of these complaints were unlawful. Salmond was also later acquitted of 13 sexual assault charges in a criminal trial in 2020. So how damaging could this be for the current Scottish Government and for the SNP? Well, much of that could be determined by the outcome of the trial. Some legal experts, such as Dr Nick McCarroll um, of Glasgow Caledonian University, has cast doubt on the ability of Salmon's legal team to establish that malfeasance did indeed exist. He would need to prove that civil servants wittingly abused their power to harm Salmon, which is not an easy thing to do. But regardless of any legal success, there is no doubt that this is a headache for the government. The BBC's Philip Sim has pointed out that First Minister Hamza Yusuf can distance himself from the worst of the scandal, as much of it was before his time. But it is still the resurgence of another scandal amongst many that the government needs to deal with. That was Stuart Moyes, our political correspondent, talking to me earlier. Now over to Anna Flynn for a roundup of other news from around the UK and abroad. Anna. Thank you, Jamie. 
24 Israeli hostages have now been released, with 39 Palestinian hostages expected to be released. A four-day pause in the fighting between Israel and Hamas began earlier this morning following a deal mediated by Qatar. The four-day ceasefire will allow aid into Gaza, providing essential food, water and medical supplies. 200 lorries per day will enter the Strip through the Rafah crossing. Foreign Secretary David Cameron addressed this development yesterday. Today is also a day where we hope to see this humanitarian pause. I think that's important because it's an opportunity to get hostages out and to get aid in. And I urge everyone who's involved in that agreement to make sure that it happens. 34 people have been arrested today following the riots in Dublin last night. In a press conference this morning, Taoiseach Leo Varadkar condemned the attacks. Those involved brought shame on Dublin, brought shame on Ireland and brought shame on their families and themselves. Varadkar said that new laws are being passed in the coming weeks to allow the police to make better use of the CCTV they collected yesterday. On Thursday evening, riots broke out following a knife attack outside a primary school. Five people have been hospitalised and 13 shops were looted. More arrests are expected to be made. Former South African Paralympian Oscar Pistorius is set to be released from prison next January. Pistorius was sentenced to 11 years following his murder of his girlfriend, Riva Steenkamp, in 2013, which he claimed to be accidental. Pistorius will have served nine of these 11 years before he is released. Rishi Sunak stated that immigration levels were too high in his briefing this morning. Sunak visited the Nissan plant in Sunderland, where he said that he wanted immigration to reach more sustainable levels. Robert Jenrick, the immigration minister, has created a five-point plan for immediate and massive action, with Swella Braverman saying that immigration levels in the UK is a slap in the face. Former Cabinet Minister Jacob Mogg reacted to these remarks. Between those two, you've got 1.4 million net migration. That's a huge number for the country to absorb. Thank you, Anna. Moving on to business, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Jeremy Hunt's autumn statement from Westminster was on Wednesday, with news of national insurance cuts, a raise in the minimum wage, and with the vision overall to boost growth. Our business correspondent, Ralph Fairhurst, has been delving deeper into the impact here in Scotland, reporting from Morningside. We're here on a windy Morningside road, what is still a somewhat affluent and busy high street. But over recent years, some windows have been boarded up and premises left empty. Some of the UK government reforms were aimed at helping these businesses survive and thrive in these times. But we'll talk more about that in a second. First, to the measures that should help some employees working on this street. One of the set pieces of the statement was an increase in the national living wage to £11.44 an hour for anyone over 21 years old. President of the Scottish Economic Society and former member of the Low Pay Commission, Professor Sarah Brown, spoke to Edinburgh Napier News. The predicted gain for a full-time worker is uh, 1,800 for the year. Many low-paid workers are actually part-time, so the extent to which they're going to benefit is going to be less than the 1,800. It is good news. It is a significant increase. Um, but, you know, not, not everybody is going to benefit. Later, she added hopes for people further up the pay ladder. Often we'd expect, when we have a, an increase in the national living wage, that um, those paid just above the national living wage also benefit because employers want to maintain pay differentials. In another move, national insurance was cut from 12 to 10%, but it's a different type of national insurance cuts that will help the small businesses here most in Morningside. Head of Policy at the Federation of Small Businesses Scotland, 
Stacey Dingwall, spoke to us and defined the tax cut self-employed people will see. If you are self-employed and you usually pay Class 2 and Class 4 national insurance rate, that is now to be abolished. And it's something that FSB has been calling for for a long time, so we're really pleased to see that. Um, any savings, I think the Chancellor said, that combined uh, the Class 2 and Class 4 changes will save the average self-employed person about £350 a year, so we're really pleased. A huge problem for small businesses is late payments. In the last quarter, so Q3 23, nearly 6 in 10 small businesses in Scotland told us that they've been forced to wait to be paid for work that's already been done. The Scottish Government's autumn statement is on the 15th of December, and it remains to be seen if small businesses' prayers will be answered. That was Ralph uh, Fairhurst reporting on Westminster's autumn statement. With the statement, the Conservatives hope that there will be more money in your pockets at the end of the month. Too late or too soon for Black Friday, which is today across the UK. Have Edinburgh's shoppers been taken to Prince's Street and elsewhere for the bargain pre-Christmas rush? With the backdrop of the cost of living crisis, there are perhaps fewer people out than expected. Our reporter Julia Greco has been out on the streets reporting. I'm reporting from Prince's Street, where the sun is shining, although it's a bit chilly. The Christmas markets are on. Black Friday sales have been ongoing since the start of the week, but today's the big day. Today's Black Friday. With the cost of living crisis, meaning people spending is having to be a lot more restricted, the Black Friday sales this year were expected to be joining big crowds so people could really take advantage of those sales and offers during a spending crisis. However, that's not the case. Pinsley Street is not as busy as one would expect. A shopper shared why she thinks this might be the case. It's not been as busy as I thought it was yeah. going to be. We don't, have, don't have as much money to spend even now at Friday deals. Some wish they'd taken a bit more advantage of the deals. I think I probably should have taken advantage of the Black Friday a bit more than I have done really. Convenience of online shopping also had a negative effect on the presence of customers in stores, as one of the shoppers shared. I've done most of mine online. It was just more convenient that we were here. A BBC report has shown that the cost of living crisis has caused a huge increase in shoplifting and abuse against staff. A manager from a famous retail store in Prince Street, who wishes to stay anonymous, shared how she feels. We have different kind of shoplifters, so not all of them make me feel safe to approach them. The manager added that not having a security guard is another reason as to why staff do not approach shoplifters. People stealing more, they come here, they know they can do it because we don't have a security. For sure, it's increasing in general. Although Prince Street is not as busy as expected, the retail manager gave another reason as to why customers are coming in the store today. Christmas market is just in front of our shop, so it would be just an excuse to that, um, even to get away from the cold, you know, just come in and it's basically here. Once they finish the round on the Christmas market, they come here for sure. This year, although plenty of stores had their Black Friday sales on as usual, the cost of living crisis meant customers were not able to make the most of the deals compared to previous years. Hopefully, next year brings a better economic situation that enables more spending for the average consumer. That was Julia Greco reporting on Black Friday. And now, Scotland have qualified for Euro 2024 and the draw is set for next Saturday. The moment you have perhaps been waiting for Radio Energy's exclusive big interview. In an interview with Scotland's goal-scoring legend Sir Kenny Dalgleish, sports correspondent Karen Gibson started by asking him for his thoughts on Steve Clark's striker dilemma. The question of the forwards that will be chosen to go forward to 2024. The Scottish, or any national job, it's not as if it's a club where you can go have a look at other players. 
irrespective of their nationality. And if you can afford them, you can sign them and they can play for you. But they, he can't do that. So he's got to he's got to go with the hand he's been dealt. And so far, they haven't done too badly. Obviously, he would love to have more strikers than what he's got available. If the strike force was there, would you rather go with a one-up top? No, I think you've got to look at what you have available and then decide. If, you, if there's only three people being mentioned here, so you've got one up front. If you need to throw two up, then you've got one sitting on the bench that you can put on. But, but you might only one up front, but that doesn't make you say you're no ambitious and you're no trying to get goals. In the Euro 24 qualifiers, they had 17 goals, but only two of which came from strikers. It's not just, it's not, it's not only strikers that can score goals. Anybody can score the goals. So McTominay's had a great run of set, and again, done really well. So if they start sharing them around and they get them, you might not get them for open play, you might get them for set plays corners, free kicks, whatever. Absolutely, but it would be lovely if the strike force was able to score like yourself and Dennis Law and Joe Jordan. It would be great to go back to to those times where you have prolific goal scorers up front. Well, we scored a couple, we scored a couple of goals, but when you say we were prolific... Well, uh, well, well, you're, you're currently top goal scorer, aren't you? And I don't see anybody at your back coming to t- take your spot. Yourself and Dennis Law share 30 goals. Yeah, when you look up, I think most of the young Scottish players looked up to you. Dennis Lott and when they were playing anything that, you, that Dennis had done if you can equal it you must have done alright what, what was it like playing for Scotland in, in a major tournament? We didn't do as well as we should have the the Tartan Army were probably performed and did a, a greater more positive reaction to what they did in the competitions and what the players did I think the players I think most of the games you looked as if they might be a bit tired sometimes Things went against you. Uh, maybe the number of games that you play during the season uh, with your club sides would be relevant. But I think that getting there is an achievement. But then I still think once we go out there, we could maybe have done, we should have done a wee bit better than what we did. Here's to hopefully a successful time in Euro 2024 in, uh, in Germany. Well, it's, a lot depends on the draw, which is yet to be made as well. The draw is important, but the fact that they're there has given the whole nation a tremendous lift there. That was Karen Gibson talking with Sir Kenny Dalglish. Now, over to Lana for a roundup of the rest of today's sport. Uh, I don't think we can get a bigger interview than that, can we, Lana? Definitely. What a legend, and so humble as well. Now, for today's sport. Former Hearts boss Craig Levine has joked that he is hoping to be booed by Hearts fans when he returns to Tyne Castle tomorrow with St Johnston. Current manager Stephen Naismith, who was brought to Hearts by Levine as a player, praised his former coach's influence on the club. Nobody can debate that he's had a positive impact on the club in the whole time he's been involved, whether it be player, coach, or whatever that may be. Hibs manager Nick Montgomery is expecting a challenging game against Dundee at Dens Park tomorrow, but hopes his side can follow up on their win against Kilmarnock before the international break. It's going to be a difficult game and we'll give them respect as we always do to the opposition but we'll ultimately go and and play our game and and hopefully we can uh, continue a little bit of momentum from last week. In rugby, Scotland and Edinburgh fullback Blair Kinghorn says he is excited to join Toulouse in December. It is a big decision. Moving away from a club that I've called home for nine, this is my ninth season. I've lived in Edinburgh my whole life but I feel like it's the right move for me and my family at, uh, at this point in my career. Edinburgh have agreed a six-figure release fee for Kinghorn, who will make his final home appearance in tonight's United Rugby Championship game against Benetton. 
Jamie Ritchie is also set to make his 100th appearance for his boyhood club. Scotland men's curling team are through to the European Championship final after beating Switzerland earlier today. They face Olympic champion Sweden in Saturday's final in Aberdeen. And finally, here's Scott to tell us what's coming up in this weekend's Sports Preview podcast. Thank you, Lana, John, myself, Scott, Karen and Callum as we do the Edinburgh Sporting Preview Show. We'll be talking Hearts, Hibs, Scotch Cup, Action, Edinburgh Rugby and Curling. You don't want to miss it. Another bumper-packed podcast to tune into here on the Radio Energy Network. You've maybe heard of Gaelic football, but have you heard of Gaelic Scrabble? Scrabble is still a family-favourite board game, and the offer of the game is now being expanded into other languages. With currently 36 languages, there will soon be another available. Our correspondent Larna Imla has been learning about the brand new set of Scrabble available in Gaelic being launched next week. Until I've gaming in Borschlechleche, Exvilluchleche Ma. Do you like to play board games? No, you're only good. If the answer is yes, then you may be interested in an exciting new edition of a beloved board game classic. That is, if you can understand the new rulebook. Scrabble was first released in the UK almost 80 years ago and is considered by many to be one of the most famous family board games. But this year it's set to receive a Scottish twist after the announcement of a Gaelic language edition of the game, which is set to be released next weekend, coinciding with International Board Games Month. I spoke to the operator of Ancient Robot Games, a board game cafe on Leith Walk here in Edinburgh, to ask about what makes games so useful for language learners. Games are such a great learning device um, because it's almost like a trick to learn. Because play is a huge way to get people's brains involved and engaged in a completely different way than they would while trying to just sit down and read from a book. So I think games can be a huge benefit for learning. This new edition is a collaboration between manufacturers Tinderbox Games and the Gallic Community Centre and Toy Cayley, situated in Stornoway on the Hebridean Isle of Lewis. The game will feature tiles of the only 18 letters of the Gaelic alphabet, as well as extra accented tiles for the five vowels. Not only have the instructions and tiles been Gallicised, but the scoring has also been adjusted to reflect how frequent Gaelic's fewer letters are used. Although the game was inspired to aid Gaelic conservation efforts on Lewis, it certainly hasn't gone unnoticed by the local Gaelic community here in Edinburgh either. I sat into an Edinburgh-based conversation circle, or Kerkel Cori, as it goes by, where I spoke to Dr Duncan Snedden, a professor of Celtic at Edinburgh University, about the game's potential impact across Scotland's Gaelic communities. It can often be quite difficult to find sort of social activities that you can do in Gaelic or sorts of resources that support those like games and things like that. And those that do exist are often for children. So having something that's just a bit kind of, a kind of social thing you can do in Gaelic is always good and people are quite you know, looking forward to that. Do you think it'll have much use outside of the Gaeltacht? Oh yeah, for sure. I, almost half of Gaelic speakers live in Lowlands, um, in, particularly in Glasgow and Edinburgh, other parts of the country as well. You said you're a teacher. Would you ever use a game or something like that in your class? <laughs> I'd encourage students and learners to make opportunities to use these kinds of resources. Am I going to set up a new Gaelic high school in Edinburgh? No, I can't do that. But I can do many more small things. And the more people who are committed to and see the value of doing those small things, like meeting up with their friends playing scrabbling Gaelic, you create thousands of little networks and connections. And it's in those little networks and connections that you have the maintenance of community and language and culture within it. The game's release next weekend, December 2nd, is set to coincide with the first ever Gaelic Scrabble World Championships, which will take place at Ntoy Cayley. So for anyone who fancies their chances, why not head down to experience history being made? Gunchech, lad. That's good luck in Gaelic. Larna Imler reporting. Now, the weather on Radio Energy.
A dry evening with some scattered clouds, temperatures dropping to minus 4 degrees with widespread frost and freezing fog. Tomorrow will be cold and sunny starts, building to a maximum of 6 degrees with the dry and cold weather continuing to Sunday. This is Radio Energy. Travel. Traffic is slow on the A90 northbound with lanes restricted and some delays can be expected. The A720 Edinburgh City Bypass also has some delays on the A7 A68 Old Dalkeith Road. Turn off. Traffic is queuing from Gilmerton Road to Dreghorn Road with 20-minute delays. Temperatures dropping below zero tonight, so drivers should exercise some caution. Tram services have returned to normal after an earlier fault. Live from Edinburgh, Radio Napier. News. Our closing headlines today. The Israel Defence Force has announced that 24 Israeli hostages are back in Israel reuniting with their families. A new policy requiring students to declare unspent criminal convictions at Scottish universities has been welcomed by campaigners to reduce gender-based violence. Former First Minister Alex Salmond has launched legal action against the Scottish government for damages over the mishandling of harassment complaints against him in 2018. That's all for today. You've been listening to Radio Energy. I'm Jamie Smith. Live from Edinburgh, Radio Napier, News.